In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three and One who comes to us in order to give us an opportunity to change our minds. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this parable, this parable of the two sons is one of the shortest parables that Jesus has that uh, still gets called a parable. There are other things that Jesus says uh, that, that are, are metaphors and allegories and, and things like that, but, but this one routinely is called a parable, and, and it, it's pretty short, and, and because it's pretty short, I, I think we kind of uh, wander all over the place in terms of uh, how we interpret it, in, in terms of, of what we think this parable is all about. And a lot of times we just tell this parable uh, without any sort of context around it. And, and so uh, that, that's how we're going to start off today is we, we're, we're not going to jump into the context right away. But in fact, we're just going to jump right in to the parable itself. And, and the parable starts in verse 28 here. And so um, Jesus says to the, the people that are gathered around, the, the, the rulers and, and the chief priests and, and all of the people that um, have come and, and have given him this question, he says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And that louse of a son, he answered, I will not. What a jerk, right? Uh, you know, that, that's kind of how we think of this son right away. Like, um, uh, for, first of all, um, yeah, he should be willing to do what the father wants him to do. He, he should say, yes, sir, right away, sir. I'm going out into the vineyard. Here I go. But no. Instead, this kid, with, with his, his intestinal fortitude standing up to his dad, says, I am not going to go. Now, in my family, that would not have turned out real well for me. I, I don't know how that would have turned out in your family, um, but I would have ended up going uh, somewhere along the line. I, I would have been told that really the... the the, the command to go out and work in the vineyard was, was not a rhetorical device. It was a command. You are going to go. But this kid, this kid says, I will not go. And apparently that is accepted, which already tells you that something is going on with this parable that is not exactly the way that our world works. Uh, and so it moves on then. And he, but afterward, he changed his mind. And went. Now, now the, the sense there of, of changing his mind, that, that, that word uh, metanoia, that, that changing of the mind, that changing of outlook, that changing of, of okay, what's going on here, it, that is something to hold on to in, in this parable. So it, it tells us that the first son, he changes his mind. And, and so grab onto that phrase in the, in the midst of, of this parable. He changes his mind. And as a result of changing his mind, he goes. He goes into the vineyard. And so the thing that he said that he wasn't going to do is the thing that he actually ends up doing. He ends up going out into the vineyard and, and doing the thing. And, and, and so he, all of a sudden then we start treating the son a little bit more nicely. We, we go, oh. Now, now he's a good boy. Now he's going out and he's doing his father's will. And now he's going out and he's working. He's not being this jerk who says, I'm not going to go out. But in fact, uh, he changes his mind and he goes and he goes out into the vineyard. And so that sets us up 
for the real louse in this story, right? That, that sets us up for the person that we know, because we kind of know this parable, we know that this person is, is the big, big baddie out of all of them. And, and so um, he, go, he the, the father, goes to the other son and said the same. And this son, he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. And, and so it's interesting there that there is no sense of a change of mind here. There, there's no sense of this metanoia. It's, it's not like he says, I go, sir, and, and then changes his mind. But rather, it, it seems to imply here, if we read into what Jesus is saying just a little bit, it seems to imply that this son sort of knew what he was doing when he said, I go, sir. He, he was, you know, he wasn't changing his mind. He didn't say, I'm going to go. And then later on, he goes, well, you know, I've actually got some other things that are coming up. But rather, he's going to his father and he's lying to his father's face and saying, I'll go. You know, fingers crossed behind my back or just kidding or, or whatever. And so we, we know that this is the son that is really no good. This is the son that, that we're, we're supposed to go, okay, that's not the son. So the second son in this parable, the second son is, is the, the real bad one. He's the one that we don't want to be like in the kingdom of God. And, and so as Jesus tells this story, he, he stops and he, he looks at the people that have been asking him all of these questions and he says, which of the two did the will of the Father? Well, well that's, you know, yeah, Jesus has just set the ball on the tee for the chief priests and the rulers to just whack the, the crap out of it because he's saying, which of, the, which of them actually did the thing? And the only one who did the thing was the first son. The other one didn't do anything. He just said, I'm going to go, and uh, possibly even said that with a, a sort of lying intent. Just kind of like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And, and so we, we get that sense of the parable. So that's where the parable is at for us. And so at some level, I, I think we, we first experience this parable and, and we think that, okay, well, well, maybe this is kind of about integrity. Maybe this is about, like, well, I should, you know, I should do what I say and say what I do. That, that kind of a sense of, of what it means for us to have some connection between the, the words that are in our mouth and the actions that, that we go about. And so maybe Jesus is just giving us some good life advice here. And he's saying, you know, don't be like the jerk son who says that you're going to do something and then doesn't do it. And sure enough, I mean, don't be that son. <laughs> uh, that son is a terrible son, not a good person, not somebody that you want to have around you, right? And, and that, that's somebody who you go, all right, that person constantly says, I'll do this, but then they don't follow through on it. And so, you know, th there is a level to this in, in which there is something here about the integrity of the second son. But I think the first son is the character that we're supposed to pay more attention to. And the first son 
does something that's a little bit different. And the first son's response, I think, is better understood as we look into the actual context of what's going on in this parable. So in this parable, we're here in Matthew 21. What has just happened in uh, the story of Jesus at this point is that uh, Jesus has gone into the temple. And, and he's gone into the temple, he's seen the money changers and the lenders, and he's uh, turned over the, the tables, he's walked in, he's basically entering the temple as if he were a conquering king, a conquering army coming in and saying, I'm setting up shop. So, so, you know, if you think about it this way, this would be like, you know, if Jesus came in here and, and Jesus said, you know, Jay, you're not pastor anymore, and he throws me out, out of this spot, and he starts then uh, teaching, and he starts saying, okay, this is, is how the kingdom of God really is, because Jay has been leading you astray, and, and that's what's going on here. And so you can understand why it is that the chief priests and, and the scribes come up to him, and they, they say what they do. In fact, the fact that they say what they say kind of shows you a little bit about who they are. Maybe that they're a little bit afraid of this Jesus guy. They're a little bit afraid of the crowds. Um, uh, and, and maybe they're even just a little bit curious. Because the way that this opens up is that Jesus enters the temple and the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And so that's what, what they're asking here. They're asking, okay, what's going on here? What, why are you doing all of this? What gives you the right? What gives you the authority to do all of this? And Jesus, it seems coy to us, but this apparently was a pretty normal sort of back and forth between rabbis. They would ask each other questions without answering the other person's question. Um, it's sort of Zen Buddhist, I guess. Um, uh, you know, Zen Buddhism meets the Judaic temple. And, and so, so they're asking each other these questions. And Jesus' question back to them is this, the baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? Now, now that brings us all the way back to the banks of the Jordan River. And, and at the banks of the Jordan River, what John is doing is John is offering a, a baptism. Now, we know what a baptism is, kind of, sort of, in, in our world, but we don't know what a baptism was to John and to the people around that time period. And so what a baptism was, was a baptism was a moment in which you were solemnizing a, a moment in your life where you were going to make a big change. So, so a baptism was, was a moment in your life where you were saying, I'm going to make this change in my life. And so this baptism point is the point in which you're at the AA meeting and you finally say that you're going to walk through the 12 steps. This baptism is the moment in which you, know, you sign some important document and that important document tells everybody that you're going to start living your life in a different way. This baptism moment is a moment of radical change that you then are bringing some formality to by saying, I'm going to be baptized. And from this moment, my life changes. 
So that's what John is doing for all of these tax collectors and all of these prostitutes that are coming to him and are hearing this fiery guy who's eating bugs and honey, who's wearing camel's skin as clothing. They hear this guy and they see an opportunity to change their minds. Because if you're a tax collector, or if you're a prostitute, you've already worked out how that works in your mind. You've already worked out why those sins are maybe okay for you, or how you're willing to accept the consequences for whatever your sins are. You've already worked that out. If you're a tax collector or you're a prostitute, especially in that era, you have to. You have to have had to justify that to yourself, that somehow this makes sense for you. But they hear this guy, John, preaching. And they go, all of my justifications are in question now. Just sort of like the the first son. The first son has told his father, I'm I'm not going to go. The first son has said, I'm not going to go, and and he has his reasons, right? Whatever those reasons are, we don't know what they are, but we know that he's got reasons. He has to have reasons. Nobody pulls up that much of a self without having reasons. And so he says, I've got my reasons, and I'm not going to go, Dad. But he changes his mind. And that brings us to the end of Jesus' parable here. We're bouncing around a little bit. So at the end of Jesus' parable, he sticks it to the chief priests and the scribes and the rulers. And he says, for John came to you in the way of righteousness. Now that way of righteousness, that way of righteousness is a great thing if you are a sinner who is ready to change your mind. Because all of a sudden you realize that your justifications don't work in your life anymore and you you start going, okay, my justifications don't work and now I see something that works. It is the way of righteousness. That is what I want to start doing. And he comes to them with this opportunity. So Jesus is saying that John who came to those tax collectors and those prostitutes came to you as well. Because the way of righteousness is not specific to each of our lives. It's not different for different kinds of sinners. The way of righteousness is the way of righteousness is the way of righteousness. It doesn't matter if you're a tax collector or if you're a prostitute or if you're a Pharisee or if you're a scribe or if you are a Lutheran or if you are whatever it is that you are. The way of righteousness is the way of righteousness. And Jesus says, the way of righteousness came to you in the person of John the Baptist who called you out to leave your justifications behind and to change your mind. And what does he say about them? He says, even when you saw it, the it there being the way of righteousness, you did not afterward change your mind and believe in him. So have you changed your mind? 
you have justifications that you're still hanging on to? Uh, I, I sin because of this. I do this thing because of this. This, makes, this sin makes sense in my world because of these things that happened in my life. This sin makes sense in my world because of the way that I see the world. Is God crying out to you with the right way of righteousness and saying, you need a change of mind? And the answer there, by the way, is yes. Because all of us have sins. All of us have these things that we have justified in our lives that we say that, okay, well, this sin must be okay because I do it. But God is calling out to you and is showing you a new way of righteousness. A new baptism. Not the baptism of John. Not a baptism that just gives you an opportunity to change your mind, but a baptism that actually changes your mind. A, A baptism that brings to you the righteous one and his way. And brings to you This Jesus Christ, who if anybody has a justification for not doing something, it's Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross. He has a real good justification. He's sinless. But rather, he puts away all justifications, including that one. And he goes to bat for us. And in that moment, God changes his mind. God has a metanoia, a change of mind and heart for us, in which he looks at us and our sins. And without the justifications that are truly just for God, he says, regardless, I love them. Regardless, I love you. So may you this week be like the older son. May you confront those justifications that you have for the sins that you commit. May you move away from them and change your mind about them. But may you also recognize that God changes his mind about you every time you sin. Because every time you sin, he is justified in saying that you should be damned. But every time you sin because of Christ, he says you are saved. Amen.